This morning's scripture reading comes from Lamentations 3, 19 through 26. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his passions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord for us. George Barna conducted a national survey, and he asked, if you were to ask God one question, what question would that be? And the number one answer was, why is there pain and suffering? So among people polled, if we were given the opportunity to ask God one question, overwhelmingly, it has been discovered that that question would be, why, O oh God? Is there pain? Why is there suffering? And I don't need to tell you that this morning because sorrow is sort of a guarantee for anyone who takes on this task of living. It's been said that if you're not going through a trial right now, just wait. It's coming. It's just the nature of living in a world like ours that's broken. We feel hopeless at times. Those times where we lose a loved one or we walk through injury and illness and sickness or when you get fired from your job or when you have a broken relationship. At one time or another, all of us will fail at something. And you can think of those times where you've failed. And you just don't know how you're going to recover. Like, man, I really messed this up. I I tried this and it didn't work. I took the exam and I got an F. You just don't know how you're going to recover. And so this is part of the human condition. It's there are times where we feel depressed and anxious and lonely and rejected where we feel hopeless. But friends, this morning, that's not the last word. That that even in our most trying circumstances, we can trust God. Because he is good, because he is faithful, because God is full of compassion. God is full of compassion. And that is just what we're going to talk about today. So my name is John, and I am thrilled that you are with us today. And I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. All right, the year is around 586 B.C. The nation of Israel, we talked about this last week. I don't want to do a full recap. The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, they've already been captured and conquered by the enemy. And now the Babylonians are just looming on that southern kingdom of Judah. And that's where the capital city of Jerusalem is. And that's a holy city with the temple to Almighty God, the the one true God, the creator God. Yahweh is his name. The one that says, I am that I am. And so the Babylonians are, are just closing in on Jerusalem. Soon the walls of the city will be crushed. 
the enemy will invade and they're actually going to go into those holy places and they're going to plunder. They're going to take the gold and the silver. They're going to take all of those artifacts that were supposed to be used for worship to that one true God, to the God that says, I am that I am. And they're going to take them, pagan people, with detestable worship practices. And they are going to destroy the very temple itself. They're going, the, the, the people left there, the remnant, the ones who, who have not got out, they're going to watch as their sacred place of worship comes to the ground. Many of them will be killed. And the ones that are not killed, they're going to be carried off as captives, prisoners of war, and they're going to be taken as exiles into enemy territory. Their whole society, their whole way of life, everything they know, everything they believe, everything within their field of experience is going to be taken away from them. They're going to be completely devastated. And it's in this context that we hear these words from Lamentations chapter 3 that Ryan just read for us. So open your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. I want to walk through this again. Not that Ryan didn't do a great job of reading it for us. You did. Thank you. But these are the kinds of scriptures that have weight. You don't just read it and move on from it. Check that off the the list. Yep, we read that scripture for today. Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. So again, that's where we started this morning. Suffering, sorrow, hardship. You, when you lose the job, when the, rela- when the, the uh, person you're dating dumps you, when you fail the test, when you face the health crisis, when you lose the loved one, when you weep because you see the sin of your people. And verse 21 begins with the word yet one of those little words that sort of is a hinge. And so what we read here is, yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. The one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, you know that these are the words of a young prophet named Jeremiah. He's the one responsible for Two of the books in scriptures, the book of Jeremiah and this book of Lamentations. And Jeremiah felt mistreated by God. Yes, he he grieved the sin and the suffering of his people. Yes, he was told that the enemy was going to come in to destroy. But he himself felt hopeless. There were times where he didn't expect anything good to come out of this situation. His own suffering had caused him to lose hope. But again, 
the story doesn't end there. Not for Jeremiah, not for the people of Judah and Jerusalem, and not for you. The story doesn't end there. In spite of all of the uncertainties of life, there is hope. And I want you to hear this today. No matter what circumstances you are facing, there is hope. So let me ask us this morning, will we dare to hope? Will we dare to hope even in the face of difficulty, tragedy, crisis, suffering, sorrow? Will we dare to hope even in an unstable world? Because I should probably explain what hope is. You know, we use it in our world, in our language, and we use it as this sort of wishful thinking, well, I'm kind of hoping this is going to happen. It's like, no, 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 biblical hope, my friends, biblical hope. It's this expectation. Something good is going to come out of this. Why? Because of God's promises. Something good is going to happen because of who I'm putting my trust in. Biblical hope is confidence. It, it is a confident expectation based on a solid certainty that we can point to and cling to in the word of God. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us this. This is Hebrews ten twenty three. Let us hold firmly to the hope we profess because we can trust God to keep his promise. And then Hebrews 11 and verse 1, to have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. This morning, we're looking at Lamentations chapter 3, but we're also drawing from Jeremiah chapter 17. So you may want to go ahead and have your finger in your Bible at that spot as well. Jeremiah chapter 17. We'll toggle back and forth between these two places. But before we get to Jeremiah 17, the chapter prior to that, Jeremiah chapter 16, God tells Jeremiah that he is not to take a wife. And all of a sudden you go, oh, no wonder he was so sad. <laughs> no wonder he's, he, he has all these words about affliction and bitterness. It's like, God told me I couldn't get married. And the reason God tells this young prophet not to get married, and again, for some of you, that would be a difficult word from the Lord, wouldn't it? Because you're single and you just want to be married. You're just hoping to find that person. You just want to get married. Now, the funny thing is, sometimes for married people, they complain about their spouse. They complain about, well, if I was single, I'd be a lot more free and I could do this or that. It's like, you grumble if you're single because you want to find the spouse. You grumble if you're married because you got this ball and chain, like... It's just another instance of chronic discontent. But will we accept the lot that God has for us in life? And so this young man, Jeremiah, he's told you're not supposed to take a wife. And the reason for that is because it's to be an illustration. It's to be really, he's a walking sermon that says, this is a time of devastation and destruction. This is not a time for celebration. It's a time for sorrow. And so Jeremiah is pretty open about his own personal agony. And this is a dark time in his nation's history, yes, but even in his own life, it's a very dark time. And yet right in the middle of his lament, so we've got five chapters in the book of Lamentations. It is beautiful. 
It's Hebrew poetry. It's an acrostic, which means if you look at chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5, they all have 22 verses. Is that just a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. It's because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so they go A to Z, essentially, for those chapters. Now, chapter 3 has 66 because it's in triplet. It's this beautiful, uh, it's, it's classified as a dirge because it is a downer. And I think I said that last week. It's like, man, this isn't really a feel good. And, and this is the first I've preached through these, these passages. They're very unique. They're very different. They, they somehow embrace both, as we've titled this sermon series, sorrow and hope. And it's right in the middle. Right? So, so if, we, if we look at the book of Lamentations, we're right in the middle of chapter 3. It's right in the middle of this lament that he makes this beautiful declaration of hope in God. And most of us have this up in our homes. You, you probably have this somewhere where you're reminded, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Or you probably were in a church growing up that sang the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which draws from these ideas. Let me share a a story that might help us understand even further. Uh, In the 1950s, there was a brutal experiment uh, done by a Dr. Kurt Richter. Uh, they didn't quite have the uh, same guidelines that we do today, and animal rights activists hadn't quite uh, put the kibosh on as much. And so Richter set out to study rats and how long they could tread water. And so he chose 12 rats and beakers of water, and he dropped the furry little fellows in the water started the stopwatch. And then he waited to see how long could the rat tread water. And this was until its demise. And none of the rats reached 15 minutes. 13 minutes, 14 minutes, they would start to struggle. They'd take that last gasp of air. They'd go under. They're done. So Richter then took the next batch of rats. He took 12 more rats. And he put them in the beakers of water. And sure enough, similar results where 13 minutes, 14 minutes, these rats are struggling. They're not going to do, they take their last breath of air and they go under. But this time, the scientists reached in and pulled the rats out before they were dead. They pulled them out. They dried them off. They had them out just a few minutes and then back in the water. And this time there's going to be no rescue. But let's see if the results are any different. Have any of you guys come across this study? You're you're familiar with this? Yeah. So you might think that the second batch of rats, who have already endured 15 minutes in the water, they've been given a few minutes rest and they go back in the water, you might think, boy, if they could do another 10 minutes. They made it to 10 minutes and beyond. In fact, they made it another 15 minutes And then they passed the 15-minute mark. These rats went for an hour and beyond. Two hours and beyond. Three hours. Again, they're not getting rescued every 15 minutes. 
The first batch died after 15 minutes. They almost died after 15 minutes, dried off, put back in. Three hours, four hours, five hours. The rats keep swimming. Ten hours. 24 hours. All 12 rats are still swimming. 48 hours. You're like, what did the scientists do? They were ready to go home. Nope, they're still standing there with the stopwatch. They kept swimming. These rats made it almost three days before they drowned. And you think, how is that possible? And I'll tell you how. Hope. See, the difference between the ones who died after 15 minutes and the ones who died after three days, and you think, how did a rat tread water for that long? Hope. You see, they had been rescued once. And so they kept swimming with the hope that they were going to be rescued again. They, they, they kept swimming, waiting on that hand to reach in and pull them out. The reason I share that is to say, guys, it's our hope that propels us to keep going, to not give up. And God is way more compassionate than scientists in a lab drowning rats. <laughs> so the analogy breaks down big time. But, but God is full of compassion. Jeremiah knows that. And that is why, that is why, amidst all of the destruction and the suffering, you are going to be conquered. You are going to be invaded by the enemy. They're going to tear down your temple. They're going to carry you off into exile. That is why amidst that sort of brutality, violence, and destruction and heartbreak, that he is able to have hope in God. Hey, God's going to restore his kingdom. God's going to release his people. One day, I know we're being carried off into exile now, but one day, God is going to set us free. He's going to bring us home. We're going to become a nation again. Jeremiah was so certain of this, by the way, that he took his last bit of money just before the Babylonians invade, break through, and tear everything down, and he buys a plot of ground. This young man, and, and, and for right now, and it does seem like maybe it's a season, because the Lord doesn't say never take a wife. He says not right now. But he buys a plot of ground. Like, you know, one day I'm going to build a house there, and I'm going to have a wife and kids there. Here's what I'd like to do with the rest of our time together, is we're, we're talking about hope this morning, and it's hope based on the certainty of God's promises. And, and we're really studying, and, and I, you've probably noticed by now, we're not doing an exhaustive study of the book of Jeremiah. It's a huge book in the scripture, but there are a lot of things for us to learn from it. But how do we respond to the unstable world in which we find ourselves? How do we respond with hope? And the first is to return to him, to turn back to the Lord. You know, it's when we feel like God is against us that we very well, may just lose hope. If God isn't for us, then we don't have any hope. But Lamentations shows us another way, that, that it's actually better to let our pain drive us further into the arms of God instead of away from him. So jump down to verse 40. We're in Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah says this, Let us examine our ways and test them 
and let us return to the Lord. It's like that child who decides to run away from home. <laughs> and uh, it gets dark, and they get hungry. You know, it's like the, the snacks that they put into the bandana, I mean, they're gone like that. <laughs> and then they hear maybe the, the night sounds. They, they hear the hoot of an owl. And they go scurrying back home. Others run away from home in a more permanent or serious way. But then come to their senses. They humble themselves. They, they go back home and knock on the door. And they're greeted with tears. Mom and dad weeping and welcoming them back. Now, I've never been in that situation myself, but I can only imagine if you've run away from home and you humble yourself and, and return home, that, that's a really hard thing to do. And yet when you do it, you wonder, why did I ever leave in the first place? So Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 15 about a guy who does just that. We know it as the, the parable of the prodigal son. The, this guy who, he squanders his inheritance and severs his relationship with his dad. And he engages in wild living and everything falls out. Everything falls through. He hits rock bottom. He's, he's in the pigsty. And he comes to his senses and decides, I'm going to go back home and at least be a servant to my dad because they get treated better than the, what I'm experiencing now. And then the scripture tells us there in Luke chapter 15 that it's while the son is still a far way off that the father sees him and he runs to him and he embraces him with open arms. What a great picture of the heart of our Heavenly Father who forgives, who restores, that, that He is full of compassion. So again, Jeremiah, he has insight, and the Lord has told him, really, uh, everyone should have known because God predicted this. God shared it with them when they were actually even building the temple, but every, everyone there should have known. Jeremiah ha has tuned into this insight. He knows that the enemy is going to invade. He knows that his people are going to be carried off into exile. And he knows the solution. Return to the Lord. But, you know, admitting that we're wrong is just an incredibly hard thing to do. I thought I was wrong once. I found out later I was mistaken. Admitting our, we're wrong, it's a, it's a difficult and hard thing to do. There was a movie a few years back. The movie title was 2012. It was this global destruction kind of movie. And there's a scene in that movie that takes place in the Oval Office. The government's top geophysicists he comes to the president and he says, yeah, uh, my calculations were wrong. We only have a few hours left to live. And, and he says those words to the president where he acknowledges that he messed up and he says, I was wrong. And in that scene, the president turns to his chief of staff and he says, do you know how many times I've heard those words in this office? The words I was wrong? Zero. It's hard to admit when we're wrong. It's like, it's like, when you're right 90% of the time, why quibble about the other 5%? But we can admit to God when we're wrong. In fact, I want to encourage us to do that today. 
that when we do wrong, when we make mistakes, this was the message of Jesus. This was the message of John the Baptist. This was the message of those disciples when they first went out is repentance. Admit that you've done wrong. Recognize that you're like a sheep who has gone astray. And so that's the first encouragement for us today is to return to him. Return in hope, even in an unstable world. The second thing that we learn from Jeremiah is to rely on him, to rely on the Lord. Now, if you are like me, your tendency would be self-reliance. If you're like me, you look to your own ingenuity, to your own ability, to your own competency. Until you can't. (laughs) Like your soccer team's shirts last year, Adelaide. Uh, was it you did good till you didn't? Okay. This, this was on uh, Adelaide's soccer team's shirts. It was a saying of their coach, I think. You did good until you didn't. <laughs> because we all face circumstances at times that are just bigger than us. Where it's like, man, I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable enough to deal with this. So, so turn in your Bibles, Jeremiah chapter 17, starting in verse 5. Jeremiah is a prophet. He's a mouthpiece for God. And this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. We could say who relies on him. And then he describes those people in verse 8. They'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. So simply put, here is the teaching that we draw from this passage. Don't rely on yourself. And for students of the Bible, you go, I think I've heard that before. I think I've read Proverbs chapter 3, where it says, lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and then what? He will make your path straight. Don't rely on yourself. Instead, rely on the Lord. We saw there that this is the word of the Lord, that that we are cursed when we rely on our own strength, when we rely on the strength of the flesh, when we don't return to the Lord in our struggles. But we are blessed when we rely on him, when we trust in him, when we place confidence in him. Now, in the next verse, Jeremiah 17 into verse 9, we see that Jeremiah says, your heart is deceitful. It's beyond cure, he says. Now, this is where living by the word of God comes smack up against the way the world tells you to live. Are you going to live by the values of the world or by the values of the word? Because here's what the world tells you. Listen to your heart. Do 
Look inside yourself. Follow your gut. This is the exact opposite of what the scripture tells us. If you listen to your heart, your heart is deceitful. Your heart is sinful. Your heart is bent on disobedience to God and going your own way. Don't listen to your heart. Walk in obedience by the Spirit of God to what the Word of God tells you to do. I am so inspired by Jeremiah, this young man. And he knows right at the onset, this is not going to be a popular message. This is not, I'm not going to be hoisted up on anyone's shoulders and the head of any parade. They're going to mistreat me. They're going to abuse me. They're probably going to kill me. Because I have to deliver this message that the enemy is coming. There's nothing you can do about it. Don't, it's, it's not a, uh, I'm blowing the whistle, get the army assembled. It's, we're done. The only thing to do here is to stop trusting in your own ideas and thoughts. You thought that engaging in pagan worship would somehow do you good. You thought that making alliances with these foreign nations would preserve you, your might, your, your prominence, but it didn't. So stop relying on yourself and your heart. You can't trust that. It's deceitful. It isn't it great. It's like when hardship befalls us, how often we try to blame God. <laughs> you know, when, it's all of a sudden when things don't go the way we want them to, we're like, this must be God's fault. And you go, where were you, God? When I got this diagnosis, where were you when I walked through this hardship? So two things on that. Number one, go ahead and pray those prayers. And I, and I mean that sincerely. Because if you read Job, if you read Lamentations, if you read David's Psalms, you see prayers that are like that. Go ahead and pray those prayers where you cry out to God. Where, where you're like, where were you, God? Are you even listening to my prayers, oh God? God can handle those prayers. Our prayers don't have to be all, all pretty and nice and, and packaged with a bow. Go ahead and pray those prayers. You're not going to let God down when you express your sorrow or your anger or your fear or your worry. You're not going to let him down because you're not the one that's holding him up. So go, go ahead and express those prayers. Jeremiah, right in Lamentations chapter 3, I think it's verse 8 and again in verse 44. Jeremiah says very explicitly, it's like, God, you're not even listening. God, you can't even hear my prayers. So go ahead and pray those prayers. Secondly, throughout the scriptures, it's clear God is gracious. God is full of compassion. That, that he's even going to take those situations. He's going to take our misery. And he's going to use them for our good and for his glory. So it is interesting that we try, always try to blame God when things are hard. Go ahead and pray those prayers. God can handle them. But know that the truth of Scripture is God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Your plan is not his plan. The Bible often uses the imagery of fire as a trial, as a testing. And so we understand something about the use of fire, especially in ancient times where it was, it was the, the source of heat was used to refine if you had precious metals, you just kept 
heating it up and scooping the dross off the top, the impurities. Because then what was happening to, to the metal was it was just getting better. It was getting stronger. It was getting higher quality. It was getting more valuable. It was getting more useful. It was only when the heat was applied that it could be shaped, that it could be molded, that it could be usable. And so we know here, we read this from, from the earlier passage in Lamentations 3, that we're not going to be consumed. We're not going to be destroyed. But instead, we're going to be strengthened. So uh, Peter says it this way. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. He says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor. When Jesus Christ is revealed. Have you met a person who walked through something really hard and really tragic and praise seems to always be on their lips? It's what the scripture says happens. When you come out of the fire on the other side, when you make it through the trial, you haven't been destroyed, you've been refined. And the result is praise. The result is a life that says, man, God is good. <laughs> God is faithful. He's full of compassion. And maybe you want to push back on that and go, well, wait a minute, John. It, in context here, isn't God like judging and condemning and destroying his people? Like they messed up and all of a sudden he's like, invade them, take over them. Like, well, why is God allowing the enemy to invade? And again, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you probably know this. It's, it's their sin. But let's go a little deeper there to say, why were they sinning? You see, their sins, their, their uh, worship of false idols or their alliances with the enemy, what that reveals is a sin-sick heart. So, so it's not so much that it's all just about the outward display. It's what's happening on the inside that's leading to that sinful behavior. And it's pretty clear and obvious that these were people who didn't trust God. They, they weren't relying on him. They weren't placing their confidence in him. You see, they just didn't think that God was enough. They just didn't think he was strong enough. They didn't think he was capable enough. They didn't think he was reliable. So when you turn to anything other than Christ, when you turn to Anything other than the Lord, it reveals the same thing about you. You don't think he can handle your problem. You don't think he can fix the situation. It reveals a sin-sick heart. It reveals that we need the refining fire of God's hand. And sometimes that is a hand of judgment. So that we would be refined and become usable in his kingdom and in his hands. We're incapable of making ourselves better. We're, we're incapable of, of just becoming righteous. Like, well, I'm just going to will myself into being useful for God. It's only when we surrender to him. It's only when we say, God, I'm just making myself available for you to use. I'm the clay and you're the potter. 
That, that is reliance on him. It's only in that place that he forgives us and redeems us and restores us. So why are there so many people in the world who don't have hope? Why are there so many people right here in our own nation? And we're arguably the most prosperous nation in the history of humanity. Like, we have all of our needs met. We live in comfort and luxury. Why, why is it that right here in the good old U.S. of A., that people are hopeless? Because they don't have Christ. That's why they're hopeless. That's why you walk through times where you feel hopeless. It's because you've been relying on something other than Christ. Whether that's your own strength or whether that's some sort of substance that you've gone, gone to. That's why we're hopeless. It's because we don't have Christ. But in Christ, hope is a reality. It, it is a certainty. We are confident of it. And we even know. He walked the earth for 33 years. He was crucified, although sinless. On the third day, he rose to new life. And then he ascended. He said, I'm going back to the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one day, I'm going to return so that you can be with me in eternal paradise forever. See, those are things we're certain of. We're not just crossing our fingers like, well, I hope this happens. Well, I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping that Jesus is coming. Like, hey, he's coming back. I know he's coming back. And so my hope is in Christ, not in my own strength or ability. Uh, Pete Wilson said it this way. I love this quote. I wanted to share it with us this morning. He says, there are two very different types of hope in this world. One is hoping for something. And the other is hoping in someone. Hoping in someone. The Apostle Paul described it this way. If we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, he says, at that time, you were apart from Christ. You were foreigners. You did not belong to God's chosen people. You had no part in the covenants, which were based on God's promises to his people. You lived in this world without hope and without God. But now in union with Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what do we learn today about living with hope, responding with hope, even in an, un, in an unstable world? The first is return to him. The second is rely on him. And the third, we'll end with this, is rest in him. That is, wait on the Lord. As I just said, we're in a unique place in human history, and in God's designed plan of salvation, that place where Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. And we are waiting with eager expectation and confidence that he will return. So Jeremiah says there in chapter 3 and verses 24 and 26, he encourages us to wait on the Lord. So instead of just dwelling on his own troubles and his own afflictions and the problems surrounding him, Jeremiah thinks about the goodness of God. Did you know researchers discovered that the brain activity we use to remember, that is to recall events or ideas from the past, is the same brain activity we use 
to plan for the future and what is to come. It's the same brain activity. I love that because it's like our future is based on the past. Our future is based on remembering and recalling and bringing to mind the great promises of God. Jeremiah found hope. Why? Because he knew God's mercies are new each and every morning. So we awaken today on this beautiful Sunday to worship God and to seek him. And we know that tomorrow the sun is going to rise. God is still going to be on his throne. God is still faithful. God is still compassionate. And so here's the encouragement that Jeremiah has for his people. And it's in regards to rest, rest in him. So Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 21, this is what the Lord says, be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. What a good word for us today. And of course, he's talking about a physical load and maybe for us it's an emotional load. But be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day. Be careful not to come into the house of God and gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and leave with the burden that you brought in. But God invites us into his rest. He he instituted, in fact, at the very beginning, he instituted this rhythm of work and rest. You work for six days then you rest for one. And so resting physically is really important. Of course, absolutely, 100%. We need that sort of physical rest. And I'm not even going to get into all the science behind that. We're more productive when we, when we take a day of rest. But really more importantly is entering into spiritual rest. Where, where we just trust God, even in an unstable world. Where we dare to hope. Even when circumstances are difficult, where where God imparts to us what the scriptures call a peace that passes understanding. So when your heart is weary, when your soul is exhausted, be still and know that he is God. That's Psalm 4610. To be still and know that he is God. When our world is uncertain, when answers aren't clear, when your mind is racing, be still and know that he is God. What good news that you can rest in him. That you can dare to hope even in an unstable world. Why? Because God is full of compassion. Because God is always faithful. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions, oh, they never fail. So let's pray. And today, oh God, we thank you. We rejoice because of the work that you are doing. We entrust ourselves to you. And when our circumstances are bigger than we are, We humble ourselves. We confess that we have leaned on our own understanding 
And today we choose to rely entirely, completely on you. Lord, for some of us, we we have those little habits. And all of a sudden, it dawns on us that that little habit has become a full-blown addiction. That it's got control of us. Lord, we need you. Lord, we cry out to you to rescue us. Yes, Lord, we're the ones who, who made mistakes and who have botched it up. And yet, Lord, we've, we've accused you of being at fault. So, Lord, would you rescue us? Would you help us in our place of need? And then, Lord, today I, I pray for a great rest that we as a people we would have peace despite difficulty and tragedy we pray for brothers and sisters in Afghanistan this morning God give them peace that passes understanding allow them to rely on you to rescue them and to help them and in all of it God Thank you that you're refining us, that you're shaping us, that you're removing the impurities and making us even more valuable. You're making us even more usable in your kingdom. And Lord, we cling to hope today. Jesus, you're returning soon. And we eagerly await the certainty of that great and glorious day when we will be with you forever. And we pray it only in your name.